remember seeing and learning the Lord's Prayer from a copy of it hanging on my uncle's wall when I was a kid. And while I learned it, I didn't really know what it meant or the depth it contained. Well, today we'll begin to learn what it's really all about. Here's Pastor David. We like to be in control of our environment. We like to be secure in our finances. We tend to respect and regard people, look up to them who we see as self-made, quote-unquote, right? We look to the, the rich and the financially successful or the well-known people of the world, especially if they have some kind of like rags-to-riches story. And we think, what a great woman or what a great man that person is. The more that someone has shown that they can control their own circumstances and have financial security and financial success, the more we tend to regard them and respect them in this society. The bookstores, if you go into them, they're full of, there's a big section in most bookstores called self-help, right? Self-help section. It shows us how to change our circumstances and take on the world and become a self-made man or a self-made woman. If you, for the bookstores that are left, there aren't that many bookstores left, but that's a big section there. Self-help. There are very few bookstores with an ask for help section, right? The, the one where you go to to learn to rely on others and to rely on God and things like that. That's not the way we like to think about it. We want self-help. In fact, for many people, not all, but for many people to ask for help is actually almost unthinkable. Almost unthinkable. The New York Times, uh, there was an article in July of 2007 written by Alina Tujin. At least that's how I'm pronouncing this person's name. It's the, the article is, why is asking for help so difficult? And, and what the author talks about is that some people have a hard time asking for help because they do not want to seem weak. They do not want to seem needy or incompetent. And so they don't want to ask for help. Or they, they see themselves as if they ask for help, people are going to take that as an opportunity to harm them or to use their need or the fact that they ask for help against them. It's one of the other fears. Another fear that people have is that if you ask somebody for help, they're going to come and help, but they're going to control whatever it is that they help you with. They're going to completely take over control of it and, and, and take over that thing. Or that they're going to give you help, but there are going to be strings attached. You know, I'll help you out, but I'm going to want something from you later. And so people fear those things. We, we want total control over our lives, total security, or at least, at the very least, we want to appear to everybody else that we're in total control of our circumstances, that we're totally secure. Remember when Eve was tempted by Satan, the temptation was to be like God. Because if Eve and Adam could be like God, they wouldn't have to rely on God. They'd be in control of their own circumstances. We tend to think that we know best. We kid ourselves into thinking we don't need anything from anyone or that we shouldn't. Oftentimes, that even includes thinking we don't need anything from God. When my son Ethan was about three years old, he had his first moment like this, his first I don't need anything moment. I don't remember what Tiffany and I asked him to do, but I think it was, you know, take a nap or, or something. He wanted to watch a movie or he wanted to play, so whatever three-year-olds do, right? But anyway, we wanted him to take a nap. So we're like, take a nap. You need to take a nap. No, I want to do this thing. And eventually he's like, okay, enough of this. I've, I've had enough of this. I'm going to take care of myself from now on. I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to do my own thing. So he goes over to the closet and gets his little cute little yellow puffy jacket. We were in Virginia at the time in law school, and he was, uh, it was cold outside. So he gets his little jacket on, and he heads out the front door. 
to go take care of himself. He's going to do his own thing. He's going to be in control. He starts walking. So Tiffany and I get behind, and we're following him, you know, at a safe distance. Because we didn't just like, okay, fine, go do your own thing. Now we only got one kid to worry about. We weren't like that. We, we, we followed him, right? We weren't going to just let him go. And he went a long way for a three-year-old, and he never turned around. We eventually had to be like, Ethan, come back. You can't really do that. And we brought him back to the house. But he was going to go. And he would have been, I think he would have just kept going. He'd be a self-made man by now. That's what would have happened. <laughs> but in any case, all of us are like that three-year-old Ethan sometimes. We don't want anyone else in control. We don't want to have to ask for help for anything. We want to make our own rules. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be self-secure. For some of us, that means that we don't see the value and the necessity of prayer. We don't like to ask for help, and we tend to want to see ourselves as the most important thing in the universe. So the idea of praising and thanking God and of asking for his provision and protection does not occur to us as often as it ought to if we were living and thinking in reality and recognizing who we are and who he is. We've been in a series called Right Side Up. We've been studying Jesus Christ's sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of the popular word for it. It's chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. We've been learning from Christ's powerful words about how the world is upside down. And as his followers and his disciples, we need to live right side up. Right side up. Last week, we studied a section of the scripture. It's kind of a long section of chapter 6, but we skipped the middle of it. We skipped verses 7 through 15 of that section so we could come back to it. We're going to come back to that now. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 6 of Matthew, we're going to read verses 7 through 15. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, or you can look at it on your phone or whatever. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then it says this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We don't need a lot of words when we pray. What we need is a heart for God. Some people back then thought that if they, if they used a lot of words, it would mean that their prayer was more likely to be heard and to be answered. The heathens, which just means the idol worshipers, the people that were not uh, worshiping the one true God, they weren't uh, part of the Jewish uh, tradition, they weren't worshiping the one true God, they weren't God-fearers, they were out there worshiping all these idols, they would uh, do these prayers. And in those prayers, they would say these really long prayers. They had all these gods. I don't know if you know about this, but they had all these idols. And so what they do is they try to remember all their names. You don't want to forget one of them. You forget one of them, your crops die or whatever happens. You want to remember all of them. So they'd go through all of these different idols and they'd, and they'd say all their names and they'd ask for stuff from all of them and they might repeat it a few times just over and over. And it was kind of this rote repetition of prayer. And, and I don't think Jesus was specifically referring to how long your prayer is. But once again, as throughout this teaching that we've been hearing from Jesus and throughout the way he teaches, he's looking at the heart. 
He's looking at the heart. Don't act like idol worshipers who have no hope. Act like people who know you have a good father and know that your father understands and knows what you need. That's the heart you should have as you're praying, not just lots of words. Look, lawyers use lots of words. I don't know if you know this, but they use lots of words. Scriveners, the guys who used to, uh, to do legal documents back in Britain back in the day, they would actually get paid by the word. You've wondered why those contracts and those documents are so long? They got paid by the word. So they started writing these really long things, and now it's pretty much the same. You get paid by the hour. It's a pretty good racket if you think about it. You hire an attorney, he goes and he, and he says, okay, well, I'm going to get paid 500 bucks an hour, so I will take as many hours as I can to write this contract in just lots and lots and lots of words, right? And then you take that contract to the next person and say, here's the contract, and they can't read it or understand it because the lawyer who got paid $500 an hour made it as complicated as possible. So then they go pay their lawyer, and she goes through and says, well, I'm going to get paid $500 an hour. So she goes through the whole thing and does all the stuff so that she can explain it to you. And you and the other person finally get this little deal done, and the lawyers get rich. It's really quite a good deal for the lawyers, not for you. Um, but uh, they could, we could make those documents easy, just so you know. But why would we? We'd be out of a job, right? No, I'm just kidding. All the words in those long contracts are absolutely important, right? Of course, it should take 16 pages to say, I will pay you back $10,000 if you loan it to me for my car. Even though it only took me one sentence to say that just now, we need 16 pages of a document to do that, right? Don't pray like a lawyer. Don't pray like you're billing by the hour. Pray from the heart. Say what you need to say to your father. God doesn't need your lawyer prayer. What God wants is to hear from his children. He desires to hear from his children. My brother and my sister-in-law, Daniel and Anna Robinson, they live down in uh, Texas, in Austin, Texas. They have a beautiful daughter. Her name is Emily. And Emily has something called schizencephaly. Schizencephaly. And basically, Emily was born without part of her brain. It's a very rare condition. Just part of her brain is missing. And this affects Emily in a number of ways, but one of the ways it affects her is that she cannot talk. She can't speak like most people can. She, she talks, but only her parents understand most of what she says. Most of what she says would sound to you just like noise. It would just sound like noise. But Anna and Daniel, they know what Emily is saying. They know what Emily is saying because they love Emily, and they know what she needs, and they have known her and loved her all of her life. So when Emily makes a noise... They know what she wants or what she needs because they are her parents, and they want to take care of her. They want to talk to her because she's their daughter, and because they want to talk to her, they've learned that when she makes this particular noise, this is what she means in a way that you and I would never know that that's what she was saying because that's how much they care about her and love her, that they can differentiate between even these noises that most people can't understand so that Emily can feel confident and secure in their love. And in their affection, that when she talks, they know what she needs and they take care of her. God wants your child prayer. He wants your Emily prayer. Just speaking to God, knowing that he is the only one who loves you so fully that he understands your needs completely. He is the only one who can truly and fully provide for your needs. He created the order that way. He did not intend for me or you or your spouse or your kids or whoever it is that you look to or the political people or whoever it is to be able to fulfill all your needs. He is the only one that can do it. And he is the only one that you can pray to 
And he can totally, you can know and, and be confident that he totally understands exactly what you need, even more than you do. That's what prayer is about. Don't heap up phrases. Don't just repeat stuff. He's not going to listen to you more because you said more words. That doesn't mean that your prayers won't be long sometimes. They very well might be. But don't just heap up phrases. Go to him with your heart. And I'm not saying that you should be doing these short prayers and not very often. You've got to pray without ceasing. You've got to pray like you want what you want, like you were going to your father and you were asking for what you want. He's not saying that you shouldn't pray and keep asking. He's definitely saying that. He's definitely saying that. God knows what you need, but he wants you to come to him. He wants to spend that time with you. He's not just an absentee father who takes care of your needs but doesn't want to hear from you. That's not who he is. He wants to be with you. He loves you. Some of you are old enough to have children or grandchildren who don't live at home anymore. And it kind of hurts a little bit to not have them around. And for a lot of people, when that child or that grandchild calls, it is such a blessing to hear from them. Right? God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you all the time, every day. He loves you so much. If you are a Christ follower, then you are his child. You're his child. If you're not a Christ follower, he wants you to become one. He wants to be in relationship with you. And part of that relationship is prayer. You should want to be with him. You should want to enjoy him. He created you to enjoy him as he enjoys you. So we don't pray with vain repetition, but we do not give up either. We do not give up. We pray, and we pray, and we pray. And when we don't first get what we're asking for, we keep praying until we get an answer because God will always answer us. Listen to this parable that Jesus spoke. This is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? We show we have faith when we continue to come to God and ask for an answer to our prayers. It shows that we believe that he is, we believe that he's listening, and we believe that he'll answer like he said he'll answer. When we stop, when we give up, what it says is we don't have faith. We don't believe. So we keep asking. Sometimes our timing is not God's timing, but if God has put something in your heart, you should pray for it and you should not give up. He is not an unjust judge. He's not an unjust judge. He's your loving father. Even the unjust judge gives an answer eventually. God will answer your prayers. Now, it may not always be the answer we want. I can tell you that. My experience, which is getting longer and longer, says that although it's not the answer that I want all the time, it is always the best answer. It is always the best way. Tiffany and I, we have gotten lots of answers from God over time. Sometimes the answer has been yes. Sometimes the answer has been no. Sometimes the answer has been, not right now. you got to wait for a while. Not all of those answers felt good 
at the time we got them, especially the no's and that you've got to wait a while. But they've all been good once we saw more of God's plan and will revealed. The longer I go down, the more I see that, oh, if he had said yes here, he could never have said yes here. If God had said yes to some of the prayers that I had, some of the honest prayers in my heart, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be somewhere else because he would have led me in a different path. But in order for me to be here at this time in this place, he had to say no to some things. He had to say wait to some things. This will be true for you too. But you keep praying and you keep asking and he will answer. The next thing Jesus does in this passage in the scriptures, he gives us a model prayer. Now there's nothing wrong with using this prayer as it's written. I have many, many times just prayed the Lord's prayer. But this prayer is a model prayer of what our prayer should sound like, okay? First it starts with our Father in heaven, right? It starts with God. It's not about us. It's not all about us. It's all about God. We recognize the Father. We praise him. We're gonna, in this prayer, we're going to say three things to the Father first, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are the first three things we're going to say. We're going to see a pattern here. First, it's your, your, your to God. Then it's about our needs, ours, we, us. We start to use those words. And then we come back at the end and close again with your, back to God. We recognize God again. Starts with our Father in heaven. God is awesome. He's our Father in heaven. You might notice it doesn't say, my Father in heaven. It doesn't tell us to say, my Father in heaven. It says, our Father in heaven. We pray to God, the Father. We are addressing all of our Father. Every Christ follower all over the world is his adopted child. And when we pray and we say, our Father in heaven, we are recognizing that we are part of the greater body of Christ, the church which has for 2,000 years been going forward in power against darkness, marching against the gates of hell, seeing people come and be saved and grow. That's who you're connecting with when you say, Our Father. Our Father. We are expressing unity. For those of you who have read the scriptures who know Christ's words, you know that it was a big deal to Jesus Christ that we be unified, that we be one. So when we pray and we say, Our Father, we're recognizing that unity that exists. That unity. But the idea in itself that we can say our Father is, I can't even begin to understand. You can't begin to understand how amazing and incredible it is to be able to refer to God as our Father. The creator of the universe is our Father, our adopted Father who's saying, call me Father. You'll want to be sure and check out the next episode as Pastor David continues to teach us about this amazing and powerful outline for prayer. Until then, if you have any questions or comments about today's lesson, or we can help you find life in Christ, call us at 360-885-9000 or use email info at axchurchnw.org. Always great to have you with us, and I hope you'll be here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.